0: Good morning, morning. welcome to Borland Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here to worship with us today. As we come to worship, we would like to take time to honor Julie and Doug Bryan in their generosity and dedication of our church. The flowers are in their honor. Let us come to worship. and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight, with gracious words draw near. O Christ who spoke as none e'er spoke, my peace be with you here. We may not touch your hands inside, nor follow where you trod, but in your promise we rejoice and cry, my Lord and God. Help then, O oh Lord, our unbelief, and may our faith abound to call on you when you are near, and seek where you are found. And when our life is, faith is done in realms of clear or light, may we behold you as you are, with full and endless sight. Our hymn of praise this morning is hymn number 223, Crown Him With Many Crowns. If you are able, please stand and join in singing hymn number 223. Children can come forward for lesson on the steps. How are you guys today? Good. Callan, can you turn around just a second and look this way, maybe? How many of you have ever gone shopping with mama? Me. You have? I do. Wyatt, have you been shopping with mommy? Yes, I have. Have you ever heard somebody say, What is it, Julian? that's good. You too, Lily? All right. Then I bet you can help answer my question. I knew that I was Who's that? Mommy. Mommy and Daddy. Has anybody ever said to your mommy or daddy, can I see your ID? Uh, uh, yeah. Can I see your ID?
1: No.
0: You don't think so? Well, I hope they haven't then because then you won't have to know. I'm going to cover this up. But this is my ID. Sometimes they say, may I see your ID? But you know, our story today, and Pastor Keith's going to preach about Thomas, and I want to read a scripture to you. So listen to John chapter 20, verse 24 and 25. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. He was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, first, I must see the nail holes. And then I want to put my hand on his side where the sword went in. Thomas didn't believe that they really saw Jesus. But see, sometimes we're not sure who we are. I used to have to carry a picture around with Callan, Silas, and Levi to identify them. Yes I did, because sometimes I didn't know who they were. I couldn't tell them apart. But you know, Jesus doesn't need an ID card, does he? Because where is he? Where is Jesus? Jesus is in our hearts, so we don't have to have a hand. He is in our heart every day, all day. And we don't have to have an ID card. And he's on our shoulder. And he's on our shoulder watching after us. That's exactly right, Wyatt. He is on our shoulder watching after us. So we don't need an ID card. We don't need to ever have to be a Doubting Thomas. Uh, why? Because we know where he is right here. So you, you remember where he is and what he is to you and you won't ever have to worry about that Jesus is always with you. Let's pray. You don't have to close your eyes, but what do we have to do? Be quiet, that's right. Dear Lord, we thank you for these precious children. We thank you for the joy that you put in their hearts and the fact that you sit on their shoulder every day. We don't have to doubt, we know. We look into their eyes And we see that joy that they know you are with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Good morning. If you are here at Boiling Springs for the first time, would love the opportunity to meet you uh, following our service. I'll be in the lobby and would love that opportunity. So please come by and we can get to know each other a little better. Before I pray this morning, I want to mention a few things. Uh, First of all, we extend sympathy this morning to Sybil Beeson and the passing of her brother, Melvin Dobbins. We also extend sympathy to the family of Henry Green. Uh, His sister is Mildred Campbell, and some of you may remember Henry from some time ago, but he passed away this last week, and we extend sympathy to his family. At this hour, we rejoice, but also wanna be prayerful for Christian Bernal. This is Sandy and Tim Quattlebaum's daughter, as she is in labor, uh, I believe here in Shelby, and has been now for about a day. And so we want to be in prayer for them as Tim and Sandy are not with us this morning. uh, Let's be mindful of Kristen this morning and um, in prayer for them. Our youth minister, Alan Newcomb, is uh, not with us this morning. He recovered from Easter, uh, was doing okay in the middle of the week, but Friday and Saturday began to develop a fever again. And so we want to be in prayer for him as he's struggling once again this weekend. And certainly we want to be mindful for those in California during this tragedy at the synagogue uh, that happened in the last few days. And for all those who, when things like this happen, it begins to bring things back from other tragedies that individuals have been involved in. So um, let's keep these in mind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We're thankful that Lord, amid our doubts and questions and simply lack of understanding at times. Lord, you don't leave us, but Lord, you still welcome us to come and to have a relationship with you. So Lord, we bring all of who we are today. That's all that we can bring. We bring ourselves to this place, to your word, to prayer, to your throne. And Lord, we pray that you would meet us at the point of our need. Lord, help us to come honestly, sincerely. And Father, we do pray that as we come to your throne, Lord, as we hear your word, and as we proclaim your message through song, God, that we wouldn't leave the same, that we would leave different than when we come in, than how we came in. We do pray for these on our prayer list this morning, Lord, those that have been named, those that are unnamed. Lord, for those in need of comfort from grief this morning, we do pray for the family of um, Melvin Dobbins. We do pray for the family of, of Henry Green. And Lord, we know of others recently that have lost loved ones. Comfort them and be their good shepherd and walk with them through this difficult time. We pray for Alan that you would heal his body this morning. We pray for Kristen and for the Quattlebaums and David and for the family, Lord, that you would be with them during this time of celebration, that things would go well. Lord, we lift up those in California that are struggling at this hour, trying to, they're having their own doubts and questions and concerns at this hour. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet them at the point of their need provide comfort and direction and safety, Lord, for all who have been um, affected by this tragedy. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, and Lord, we thank you for this church and for this community. Lord, help us to be faithful and to loving others the way you would have us to. Help us to hear a word from you this morning as we read this passage in John later in the service and as we hear your word proclaimed, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and redeemer. It's in Jesus' name, the name above all names we pray. Amen.
0: Our hymn is number 208, He is Lord. Um, If you would, please sing through this chorus three times. If you are able, please stand and join in singing number 208.
2: you pray with me once again because you are lord we come and we offer back to you a portion of what you've given to us not only in our lives and through our skills and our talents that you have given us but lord through our financial means as well so father bless these gifts and the giver of them in jesus name amen Thank you, choir and candy and musicians. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We'll be looking uh, at a passage just after what we looked at last week, of course, the resurrection of our Lord, and then we're going to see the response of Thomas and the disciples and others in chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, and um, you may find this in your pew Bible, or hopefully your Bible or your Device that you may be reading the scripture from this morning and you will find it also on the screens in front of you. But John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In verse 24, but Thomas, who was called the twin, or Didymus in some of your translations, And then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here and see my hands. "'Reach out your hand and put it in my side. "'Do not doubt, but believe.' "'Thomas answered him, "'My Lord and my God.' "'Jesus said to him, "'Have you believed because you have seen me? "'Blessed are those who have not seen "'and yet have come to believe.'" Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. God, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word this morning. Stir our hearts, Lord, that we may follow you more closely and that we may share what we learn with someone this week. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. A couple months back, I was giving Candy and Betsy and maybe Roger and anyone helping with the service kind of a summary of where we were going for the next several weeks. And as many of you know, we have been in a sermon series, God on the Move. And I intentionally did not put a title with today's sermon. It was untitled. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to call it yet, but I knew that uh, God on the Move never discontinues. I was going to say that to begin with. We never stop, God never stops moving in us as individuals and as a church. But the sermon series at some point probably needs to come to an end. And so today was the day, the Sunday after Easter, that things were going to kind of wrap up this God on the Move series. And so I purposely, when I realized what I had done, I'd sent it out without a title And when I realized that, I kind of left it that way. Because after all, God uh, on the move in us is an incomplete and unfinished work. I started coming up with titles, but none of them seemed to fit the the picture of what I wanted to say. And so I just just simply decided to leave it God on the move or God on the move to dot, dot, dot. God never ceases working in us and through us. Matter of fact, Paul said in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God doesn't stop working in us. This series, like I said, could continue uh, inevitably, but God is on the move in me. Where, how, when, we, we don't know. Sometimes we get an idea of that, sometimes God reveals that to us, but nevertheless, I think we would all agree that God's work in us is at times very unpredictable and his leading in us. But this morning we are concluding our sermon series, God on the Move. We've traveled with Jesus both physically and in our hearts as he was led to Jerusalem, as he was persecuted, as he was crucified. We we followed him to the tomb and we followed him last Sunday out of the tomb. And the good news is we celebrated that even death could not stop God on the move. The grave could not stop God moving among people. But this morning, we look at a passage of Scripture that many of you, if you've been raised in church, are familiar with. Um, It's a story of hope to the doubters. It's a story of hope to those who uh, who are skeptical. And we see where Jesus welcomes, again, maybe a cynical view, Uh, a story of welcome for the cynics who say, I believe it when I see it. So if you fit the category of the doubter or the skeptic or the cynic or as we will see in a minute, uh, a pessimist, Jesus says to you this morning, welcome. There's room at the table for you. Jesus didn't turn Thomas away, nor does he do this to you and I when we come with our questions. This story reminds us that God is on the move amid our questions, amid our doubts, and amid our struggles. And I want you to, if you have your Bible still open there, let's walk back through the passage that we looked at this morning. Beginning at verse 19, now realizing Jesus has just risen from the grave, we celebrated that last week in all its splendor and glory, and it was a wonderful day for our church, a wonderful day for the kingdom of God as we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord. So in verse 18, backing up, it says, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. So the very next verse where we began today is when we see, uh, it says that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so Jesus had risen in the morning and now it is the evening when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Let me just stop right there. If the Romans did what they did and the Jews did what they did to Jesus, the disciples knew that they could be next. So they were in a room behind locked doors. And I always loved this as a kid when I learned it for the first time. Jesus just came in and stood in their midst. It didn't say he came through the door, it just said Jesus was there. I don't know how it's in your translations, but in mine it said Jesus came and stood in their midst, behind locked doors now. And the first thing out of his mouth was peace be with you. Now granted, these men betrayed Christ. They were not there, many of them, most of them, in his final hours. They had betrayed him, they had left. So the disciples probably didn't know exactly how Jesus is going to respond to them. It's kind of like when you come home and you don't know if your parents know anything, and all of a sudden they start asking you questions or telling you things which you know that they know where you were and what you were doing, and it's kind of like, all right, is the hammer going to fall or is parent, my parents going to be gracious? You don't know kind of the reaction, so you're kind of a little timid. And I imagine the disciples may have been a little bit like that, not knowing Jesus' response, knowing that they had betrayed him, What is our master going to say? What is he going to do? And the first words out of his mouth was, peace, be with you. To calm them, to reassure them that he's still on their side, that he's still in their corner. He says, peace, be with you. In verse 20, and when they had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, the second time, peace, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After immediately blessing them with peace, he commissions them to go, not to share a new message, but to share the same message that he came to proclaim, the good news that's found in and through his life, his death, the message of God's love. Verse 22 When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's a whole sermon wrapped up in this verse right here. We know uh, different times where God breathed. We know, uh, we can go back to Genesis 1 at the beginning of creation when God breathed life into mankind, into humankind. He said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the paracletos, receive the helper, receive the one who will walk with you in this journey ahead. Jesus knew the journey that they had in front of them. And um, we had some good discussion about this uh, based on a few that were asking the question, you know, didn't they have the Holy Spirit before this time? And yes, I believe they did. But uh, there is a long uh, explanation about this that we could spend a whole sermon on. But I do believe that this was a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples. Jesus knew, they knew what may be coming for them. Again, they're behind closed doors, again, for fear of the response of, of the leaders So Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. I don't believe that the apostles truly believed that they had the power to forgive sins, but I do believe that Jesus was speaking of the responsibility of the church to declare the gospel to the world so that all who believe will find the precious gift of God's forgiveness. In verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, or the twin, was not with them. And I'm just going to read through the story of Thomas, and then we're going to back up and talk a little bit about Thomas. Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So that the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprint of his nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands in his side, I will not believe after eight days or a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors, having been shut, stood in their midst and said, once again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here for your finger and see my hands and reach here for your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered with one of the greatest statements ever uttered by an apostle. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. Let's talk for a minute about Thomas, for a few minutes. Many of you have heard about Thomas growing up and what would it be like to go through your whole life with this derogatory thing in front of, this adjective in front of your name. We always say, I said this yesterday to my dad as I was in Hendersonville, I told him, I said, I'm preaching about the story of Thomas tomorrow. He said, oh, doubting Thomas. That's what we all say, right? What would it be like to go through your whole life or your legacy to have this derogatory word in front of your name, doubting Thomas? We do know that he was one of the 12 disciples, that he walked and he lived with Jesus. Again, he was called Didymus or meaning twin. Um, after, all the, after all, when we think about this derogatory word doubt, doubt could imply second rate, not good enough, that somehow we failed because we doubted. However, the process of questioning or digging deeper or clarifying our faith brings strength to our roots. I'm grateful that in many of our Bible studies here uh, at Boiling Springs Baptist, uh, there are many of you who feel... Uh, transparent or vulnerable enough to say, you know, I, I, I question what I'm reading here. I, I, you know, and so I'm glad there's a safe environment for us to do that. And we spend time talking about it after that. It happens on Wednesdays. It happens on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock with our men. And I know it happens in many of your Sunday school classes. And you begin to talk about, okay, what exactly does this mean here it, that we're reading in the text? Um, and I want to I say this as we talk about Thomas. Thomas was a better man than we often give him credit for. He was a better man than we often give him credit for. One of the lesser known attributes or characteristics of Thomas is that he was somewhat a negative person. And we're gonna going see that over the next few minutes. I'm gonna explain that to you. But, and let me, let me back up and say this. John is the only gospel writer that gives us insight into Thomas's life, insight into who he was as a person. We simply know him as a name in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, we learn a little bit more about Thomas. He was a worry He tended to be anxious. We're gonna look at some examples of that. He could have been like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. I watched a a clip this week because it had been some time since I had, uh, I I was thinking, as I was reading this description and studying this um, about Thomas, and I I, I just clipped and I almost, I was so tempted to show it, but I didn't do that today. I resisted that temptation, but maybe I should have. But Eeyore had just finished, you know, he's the donkey on Winnie the Pooh. He had just finished building this little house and he goes up to it and he says, not much of a house for not much of a donkey. Um, you know, and he's always just, it, it, it's always down. It's always gloomy. You know, he lost his tail and then he's always trying to put a new tail on him, pin the tail on Eeyore, you know, and this kind of stuff. And I, I, I saw another little clip about Eeyore. It says, end, or he, he was saying this, end of the road, not much to do and no hope for things getting better. Um, do you know anybody like Eeyore? They're just always a little bit down. They're just always a little bit. If something could be questioned, if something could be doubted they're now don't start hitting anybody or looking at anybody, but they're always, they're a little bit like Eeyore. They're good people. They're just kind of down. They're just kind of just, well, like it looks like it's going to rain sometime, you know, and they're just all, every, if it can be negative, they, they try to pull it out. You know, try to, you try to be positive and they just try to, they, they, they know how to take it somewhere else. Um, You know, maybe I wrote this down. Maybe um, uh, Thomas was because of his personality. Maybe he was too depressed to be with all the other disciples in the upper room. It's like, hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. We're going to the and Thomas is like, I don't know about that. I, I just, I don't know. And Thomas, maybe he, maybe for the worst case scenario had proven true in Thomas's heart. Maybe he's thinking, if Jesus is dead, what, where am I gonna go from here? I don't wanna be around anybody, you know? Sometimes uh, the people that are the cynics or the, that tend to lean towards pessimism are like that. It's just like, I, I just don't wanna be around anybody. I don't wanna go with all these disciples in the upper room and it's just, it's just not my thing. So John MacArthur and his 12 Ordinary Men says that Thomas was more of a pessimist than a doubter that he anticipated the worst. Now, uh, first we know everything we know, again, like I said about Thomas from John's Gospel. But despite his pessimism, he has some redeeming character qualities. He's in many ways a heroic pessimist. Almost sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? A heroic pessimist. But yet I think that's what we find here in Thomas. But back in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 16, we are introduced to Thomas for the first time and John gives us a little bit of a glimpse into Thomas. Um, In chapter 11 of John, let me remind you, Lazarus is just, um, Jesus has just been told that Lazarus is sick. And then Jesus finally explains it to someone. He said, no, Jesus, he said, if you're asleep, you could go wake him up. And Jesus said, no, he's dead. And then he waits three days. It's like, what? And so then Thomas, Jesus, Thomas is kind of discouraging Jesus from going back into Bethany. Thomas knew that Jesus could possibly be going back into a stoning, and he's trying to avoid that. And then he says these words in John eleven sixteen, which gives us a glimpse into this heroic pessimist that we know as Thomas. Here, Thomas says in verse sixteen, "Let us go too, so that we may die with him." It's like if Jesus is going to die, well, let's go too. We can all die together. It's Jesus, he wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus, and he was willing to die with Jesus. He could see nothing but disaster ahead for Jesus. He was, again, convinced that Jesus was headed for that stoning as he went to Bethany. But he said, I'll go too. To me, that is heroic pessimism, that is courage. Kind of like Eeyore, if you're going to die, I guess I'll die too, is kind of Thomas' attitude, at least from my interpretation. He was loyal in the face of his pessimism. He he may have been kind of down and out, and it's gonna rain, and the sky is falling, But he was going to stick with Jesus, and that is certainly to be commended for Thomas. Next, we see him in chapter 14. In chapter 14, we have that wonderful passage of Scripture about the fact that we have been promised eternity with our Lord. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have that wonderful passage of Scripture. But then Thomas, again, in chapter 14, again, he's loyal to Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus, but he's always looking for, he's always seeing the, 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 the cloud. His glass is always half full, as they say. Um, he says this, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And then, of course, we have that wonderful passage of Scripture in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. He was close to Jesus. He was very close to Jesus. So we thought of him, the thought of him leaving him left him heartbroken. He couldn't, he couldn't take it. Now here in today's passage after the resurrection his worst fears came true. Jesus has died. He's gone. Thomas felt alone, he felt rejected, he felt forsaken. He was not in the mood to socialize with the other disciples. Now that's Keith's interpretation of possibly what could have been going on in Thomas's life. Maybe this was why he wasn't in the upper room. We don't know. What we do know is that 8 days later he is now with the disciples. Maybe they, after a week of of encouraging him and trying to say, look, this has happened and and so he is now eight days later, a week later in the room with the disciples and he puts his hand in Jesus' side. And in verse 28, again, Thomas uttered one of the greatest statements ever uttered by an apostle. He says, my Lord and my God. Church, Church history tells us that this doubter this skeptic, this cynic named Thomas most likely took the gospel message to the far reaches of India. Near one of the airports in one of the cities of India, there's a commemorative stone about Thomas, the apostle. Church history leads us to believe that this man who once doubted, who once saw the glass as half full, was a committed follower of Jesus Christ who was filled with the Holy Spirit who took the gospel literally around the world. Let's look at verses 30 and 31 as I begin to conclude. We have here, we're stepping away from Thomas in, in some, some degree, but we have here a, the purpose. Uh, a lot of times when someone writes a letter, we hear the purpose either at the very beginning and at times, as so we see here in John, we have it at this time at the end. But why did John write this gospel? In verse 30, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And in verse 31, we have the purpose of the gospel of John. But John says, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The Greek word for that word is zoe. I have a good friend from high school who named his little girl Zoe, and that word means life, and it not only means life in the physical sense, but it also means life in the spiritual sense. It means everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, Zoe. Not only life on this earth, but life in eternity with him. Knowing Jesus, as we talked about last week, the resurrection gives us a sense of identity but also gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of purpose in the Zoe and the life that we live on this earth amid sometimes if your glass is half full, you still know hopefully that Jesus has come to give you life. He's filled your life with meaning and with purpose and he's promised for you an everlasting life when you draw your last breath as well. This week on Thursday night, I was... um, looking, trying to catch up with the news, and I stumbled across a brand new, just released on Thursday, uh, Gallup poll, some research results about how Americans were uh, stressed, that dealt with stress, with worry and anger that had, it had intensified in 2018. And so Thursday night, I won't tell you all the events of my day, but Thursday night, as I'm reading this, stressed, worried, and angry, I was reading about how Americans in 2018 were stressed, worried, and angry uh, more than they were in the last 10 years. Americans were among the most stressed in the world. Nearly half, 45%, felt worried a lot, and more than one in five felt angry a lot. The opening paragraph to this new um, Gallup poll says this it says, even as their economy roared, more Americans were stressed angry and worried last year than they have been at most points during the past decade. Ask about their feelings the previous day. The majority of Americans, 55% in 2018, said they had experienced stress during a lot of the day. Nearly half, 45%, said they felt worried a lot. And more than one in five said they felt anger a lot. And why do I mention this? Because the resurrection life of Jesus has an answer amid our stress, and amid our worry, and amid our anger. The resurrection life of Jesus can fill our lives with a sense of purpose that nothing else can fill. And just like Thomas, amid his cynical view, amid his pessimism, amid his doubting, Jesus welcomed him in the room with the words, peace be with you. And as we come, as I prayed earlier, Jesus, we come as we are. That's the only way we can come. So many of us sit and stand here this morning amid our doubts, amid our struggles, amid our questions and our worry and our anger and our stress, and Jesus says to you and to me, welcome. He says, peace be with you. I know you, I know the real you, and you're welcome here. All the barriers, the walls are down Someone else may judge you, someone else may criticize you, offer words that you don't need to hear, but Jesus this morning sees you as you are and amid your sin, amid your anger and stress and worry, and he says to you, peace be with you. You're mine and I love you. God is on the move amid all of our emotions and our doubts and our pessimism. He's asking us to join him, to partner with him in the advancing of his kingdom. And as we do that, we come with all of who we are. We'd like to come, you know, when we come to church and put our best foot forward in the sense of our appearance and our smiles and we try not to be the the glass half full. We try to be the, I mean the glass half empty, we try to be the glass half full most of the time, most days. But I'm grateful on the days when our glass is half empty, and the days when we, like Thomas, or a little bit like even Eeyore, and just say, well, I'll go too, that Jesus still embraces us and he still loves us. And so this morning, church, I'm asking you, I'm asking myself, do we come and can we, do we feel like we can come to Jesus amid our struggles, amid our doubts, amid our questions, And I feel like we need to be reminded of the assurance, the peace be with you. We need to be reminded that God is still on our side. He is still in our corner. We are still known by him. And not only are we known by him, we are loved by him. And as we feel and embrace the love that God has for us, there's also a sense of belonging, that we belong with him. And as we embrace that for our lives, he fills us with a great sense of purpose and identity that nothing else in this world can fill us with. And so church, I ask you this morning, do you know that love? Have you experienced that love? Is God on the move in your life? If he's not, I would love to talk with you about how you can know God in a personal way. And if you do know God in a personal way, be reminded, be encouraged this morning. Whatever emotional state you find yourself, Thomas came to Jesus with his doubts. We may come with our anger, with our stress, or with our worry. But we need to know that God loves us. And he says to you and to me, you are welcome here. Peace be with you. God, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for the way it's shown in our lives and through the lives of your people. Help us to be faithful followers of you. Help us to come to you truly as we are with all of our mixed emotions and questions and doubts and struggles. And may we hear your gentle voice say to us this morning, peace be with you. We're thankful, Lord, for calling us into a relationship with you because of your son, through your son, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that we hear the words from you this morning, we belong. And God, we thank you for pulling us in to, be, to partner with you in advancing your kingdom amid all of our imperfections and amid all of our frailties. Empower us to be used of you in greater ways as individuals and as a body of believers. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or renew your commitment to him, I would encourage you to come and respond. If you're here today and you'd like to, to join with Bowling Springs Baptist Church in membership, I would invite you to come as well. Let's stand and sing a hymn that references Thomas and the nail-scarred hands. Um, the nail-scarred hands, and this is not in your hymnal, but the words will be on the screen. Let's stand and sing together.